TED Audio Collective. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors? Stop them in their tracks. With Paycom, employees do their own payroll. They're able to identify errors and fix them before submission, right in the app. Because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong. Not HR and payroll teams, not leaders, and definitely not employees. Shorted paychecks, timesheet corrections, unentered sick days, missing overtime hours, and expense mistakes are, well, unnecessary for everyone. Manage the process to make payday right with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com slash soundrise. That's paycom.com slash soundrise. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Jake and Poum Lefebure about how they got their firm Design Army up and running, about work versus family life, and about the importance of sketching in their design process. You need to dream alone. You can't dream as a group. If the sketch is looking good as a sketch, execution's going to look good as well. Here's Debbie Millman. Designers make stuff. Armies blow stuff up. So to call your firm Design Army is eyebrow-raising and attention-grabbing. A potential client might worry about Design Army eating them out of house and home and trampling the garden. But fear not. The Washington, D.C.-based agency is a graphic design firm run by husband and wife team Jake and Poom Lefebure. Their clients include Adobe, PBS, and Congressional Quarterly, and they are here to talk about what they do and how they do it at home and at work. Welcome to Design Matters, Jake and Poom. Hi. Thanks. Thanks, Deb. So you two met right out of college in the late 1990s when you were both working at the same D.C. design shop. Was it love at first sight? Uh, it was more of the intern uh, Washington scandal romance. <laughs> really? You tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. I need to know all the details. Uh, well, I mean, basically, you know, uh, we started actually at our job a day apart from each other. She was the intern and I was the designer. And um, when we first saw each other, it definitely wasn't like love at first sight because we were both scared, you know, out of our wits because we just started this new new job. So um, we worked a lot together. That was back in the day whenever, you know, we didn't have fabulous fast new Macs and everything. So it took like, you know, 20 minutes to move a pixel in Photoshop. <laughs> so you had a lot of time to kill. In between pixels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In between pixels, basically. And um, I don't know. We uh, uh, She finished up her internship and went back to school and finished up. 
And uh, when she finished at Radford, the uh, firm asked her to come back, and she came back full-time. And that's when we really started to um, hang out a little bit more. And uh, it pretty much started off, we were riding the train together, working late together. You know, pretty soon I was like, hey, your building has nice laundry facilities. <laughs> so <laughs> Wait I was a like, second, wait a second. <laughs> so, so you started going out with Poom because her place had laundry facilities? Kind of, yeah, yeah. No, look how beautiful she nah. is. Is he crazy? Well, you know, we, of course there was happy hours and, 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 you know, drunken parties and that kind of stuff that... Uh, kind of pitched in on the on the romance level, I suppose. Okay, but, so now you're blushing, and uh, so I, I well, it's we're, we're getting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. But, the, sure but it, it really was the laundry. I mean, they had great laundry, and uh, it was cheaper than my building. So I was going over there doing laundry. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Good to and know. And she had a swimming pool at her building. <laughs> so she, so you fell in love with your wife yeah. because of the amenities in her <laughs> living <laughs> situation. Yes. Of course, she couldn't cook, so I had to cook everything. So, but then well, we started grocery shopping together, and um, before you know it, we were shacked up living together, and. Uh, all the time, nobody at the office knew. Really? No, nah, no, nah, nobody. They knew. couldn't. They couldn't sense it. They couldn't feel it. Not really, because you know, I'm such a city girl, and he's such a country boy. I don't know. People just don't didn't think. You. Didn't think. Yeah, you know? they were just like, "There's no way that could ever happen." But, really? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Um, but we never, you know, it was definitely don't ask, don't tell uh-huh. kind of a thing. So when did you come out? <laughs> <laughs> um, I forget how we actually. I think we came to New York. New York trip once we came to a new now. yeah we came to a trip to new york and then people started like oh, you know mm. they they you know poom and jake are hanging out a lot yeah together. a couple people started to put together then and uh then then we made it official that we were going to get married and so they had a big engagement party for us and all that kind of stuff so poom you, you just said that you're a city girl i i read actually that you're a self-described city girl who grew up in the heart of bangkok yep. so what got you to washington I came here as a foreign exchange student, and I was going to be here in a, just only a year in high school. And then I got art scholarship to go to a school in Virginia, Radford University. And, you know, I asked my parents, you know, can I stay? You know, I got partial scholarship. You know, it's going to be four-year college. And they say, yeah, you know, go ahead and stay. So I stayed there for four years. And my fourth year, I had internship at Supon Design Group in D.C., and that's where I met Jake. And that's, you know, after my internship, I went back and finished the semester, and they hired me back. And so you were both working there during the dot-com bubble. What uh, was what was that like? <laughs> the dot-com bubble and the dot-gone bubble. No, actually, bubble. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I graduated. We'd, we were pretty lucky because we graduated at very good timing. You know, that's 1996, Six. 97. I mean, that's economy was amazing. Like, yeah. you have a lot of job offers, you know, unlike what's going on today. So I feel lucky that we actually graduate at the right time, you know, have a couple year experience before everything blow up. It was definitely a roller coaster during that time, but I think I think we learned a lot on the business side. At least I I did personally on what works, what doesn't work. And when we were first at the, our jobs together, it was a very small studio, um, and then it grew really big, and so bigger it grew, the, the the more it was easier to fly under the radar. So that's why we keep our firm small. You know, we can yeah. kind of keep track of everyone. I from, from what I understand, a lot of the tenants that you employ in the firm that you have now that you share together comes from a lot of the learning of what not to do as you saw mm-hmm. the downward spiral of the Definitely. firm that you were working at. Yeah. So you left Supan together to start your own business in 2003. Yeah, yeah, more or less. So, yeah. What's the what's the more? What's the less? Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, basically, um, 
Supon had sold the company and and then it was purchased by this MHI Holdings, which you know everything was defunct now. Supon's still around; he's still a good friend of ours and everything. But uh, he had checked out, and they basically were saying, you know, here's this portion of the company to run, but at the same time, you know, we're laying off people and the company's basically going downhill with nobody hitting the brakes. And it just got to the point where we were like, okay, now's the time just to do it for ourselves. Let's give it a whirl. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, we'll go get a job somewhere else. And were you worried? Were you fearful? I mean, had you had savings? What what gave you this confidence? But you did start it around the kitchen table. Is that yep. not correct? Yeah, we started at the kitchen table. So, so talk about those beginnings. I wouldn't say it was scary because when we left our jobs, the clients we liked, we told them where we were going. <laughs> and the ones we didn't like, we never told them we left. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we were able to uh, have a few clients come along with us, but we were really adamant about not focusing on our old past. Like, at that point, we were like, if we're going to do Design Army, we're going to do it the way that we envision it, and we're not bringing any baggage with it. So we really kind of started on a fresh slate, really trying to find our our clients. And so at the beginning, we would take any kind of project we could lay our hands on, and we'd work like crazy to make it the best that we absolutely can make it. And we still do that today, although we can be a little more selective with the clients that we take. Back then, it was like, Somebody's like, hey, you know, conference for shoes. Oh, sure, we're down with it, you know. It, it really didn't matter at that point because we needed to have a have a body of work that had voice. How did you come up with the name Design Army? <laughs> Lefebure, Mekarunryung. <laughs> that's well, that, her, her maiden name. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's horrible So name. put those together and yeah, uh, add communications you, you, you to the You could be Design Attic. You could have yeah. been Design Storm. No, why think, why you Design know, Army? We wanted sounds big. You know, even though we start with two people and, um, you know, well-trained, well-organized, know what you're doing. We wanted something that could be easy to remember yeah, as well. And, you know, for me, I'm from, you know, I'm from Thailand, something that's easy to spell for international market. It's really important, too. Something that my parents can pronounce. You know, <laughs> army, very easy. And um, that's what we went with. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, we get a lot of clients that call me like, so do you design for the government? Oh, yeah. And all, I'm like, really? time. all the time. All yeah. the time, yeah. yes. I'm like, do I get any discounts? <laughs> oh, wow. It's like, interesting. Sure. Well, I guess also the fact that you're in Washington. Yeah. Um, now, is it true that you found your first client after you put out flyers inviting people to a yard sale? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so tell us about that. <laughs> how did that happen? How does, how does one get clients from putting out a flyer about a yard sale? Yeah. It's luck. I think part of it is luck, but our we made some pretty pretty hot yard sale flyers back in the day. What was on it? <laughs> it was made out of old wallpaper that we had. We go, we do. So a, you gave out actual pieces of wallpaper. Uh, well, we, we post around. We town. post them on town on like chunks of wallpaper, basically. Okay. So we put them into like the grocery stores and on poles and everything. But yeah, our first, I guess, real clients came into our yard sale, and you had a flyer, and he's like, "This is the." best yard sale flyer I ever had, except he had a lot more uh, descriptors in there. <laughs> and and he was a former Clinton administration yeah, they, politico, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, they're, they're still great friends of ours, Scott and Yandora Consulting. And they, you know, they opened a lot of doors. And when Poon was like, you know, these people don't have any money and this and that. And I was like, you know what? I was like, this guy, listen to him. You can hear him a block away. And he's like a human Rolodex. I'm like, it'll open up a lot of doors. So what was the project? We did a graphic uh, branding for their first? for their company. Yeah, for they they were launching a new PR consulting company, and they didn't want to look DC. So we come up with this huge icon library of things that go together, want to be together, because the name was Scott plus Yandora. So we could play with this whole icon system, 
And, um, they and still then use when it. they hand out, you know, the business card, people ask them who designed your card. Yeah. And that's our yeah. rep right there. Yep. So you said that he didn't want to look DC. What no. is the DC look? Very, eagles and <laughs> I wouldn't say eagles, but uh, definitely a lot of burgundy, very conservative then, grays. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I, I think there's still a lot of PR marketing consultants, especially in the political side, that still fall into that sort of, you know, old staid kind of look. But uh, their colors were like lime green and silver. I mean, mm. that was very, very different. It's dated now, but yeah, it's very. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's dated, but we wouldn't pick that today, although our architect clients like that color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you started this firm together. Neither one of you had any other job that you were doing on the side. You obviously needed to have health insurance. How did you get your financial foundation to even begin this journey? Save. You saved Save. beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. yeah. We lived in a crappy apartment. Um, we were paying... Uh, I think $800 a month. And this is when we were working at Supon. So when we were working there, we were, you know, making decent money. So we were able to put it away. So and you always knew that you wanted to do this. Are you shortly after? No, I think we tried to save for our wedding. We were saving Thailand for our wedding. First. And yeah. I was like, Jake, you have $20 allowance. But wait. <laughs> yeah. I had $20 <laughs> in allowance for, for lunch. So I'd spend 10 on beer and 10 to eat. So Supon so <laughs> was the financial director here. Yes. Yeah. And so you you originally were saving for a wedding and then you ended up taking that and putting it into your business? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we had the wedding in, in Thailand, which, you know, if we would have had the wedding in the U.S., it would have been, you know, 10 times the amount. So we had some leftover. But, but we, you know, when, when you have a wedding in Thailand, people don't give gifts. They yeah. give money. Ah. So the wedding kind of ended up paying for itself. So we came yeah. back and we we're like... Okay, so what's next? And uh, we were like, well, let's buy a house. So we ended up buying a house. And uh, we were still working at Supon. So this was probably like we got married in 2001. So between 2001 and 2003, we were really socking away our money, savings. And uh, it just got to the point where we were like, okay, it's 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 time to cut it loose. And um, I stayed on as a consultant for, I don't know, another two months or something like that, um, really kind of getting things rolling. And Poom had taken a job just to be the safety net in case, you know, stuff wasn't pulling together. And... But it was really about two two months in and I was like, I, I can't I can't do this on my own. And I can't expect her to come home from working full time job and stay up to two in the morning, three in the morning with me. So I was like, I gotta hire someone, it's either gonna be you <laughs> or or somebody else. So she quit and we just hit the ground running and I would say probably about three, four months after that we started adding our first first designers. And so you've been financially solvent since the beginning. I was yeah. reading there was an article online that I found that was all about how you structured your financial mm -hmm. foundation. And even in the first six months of your business, you had, um, I don't know if it were grossed or netted, but the number 180,000 was there. And I thought, yeah. well, that's not bad for a company that's starting yeah. all on its own, two people and getting everything going. That's that's not bad. How did you, aside from the flyer and the wallpaper and the... <laughs> ex-Clinton Politico, how did you go about getting your business? It sounds kind of crazy, but it's it's just doing good work. I mean, we really focused on our work. We Business is always there, and it's a big part of making the living. But if you worry too much about the business or worry about too much of other people's business, you, you kind of lose focus. And we really said we need to focus on creativity and really finding best solutions for our clients. And if we do that... That's going to be our best marketing. We don't have account reps. We don't have sales. We did um, a lot of invitation work oh, in, yeah, the invitation. In, D in D.C. And that's mean, you know, when you send a, like, let's say if we do stuff for the Washington Ballet, 
invitation design. Uh, 4,000 go to CEO or, you know, uh, very high up people in this area. And we put, we ask the client, can we put a design credit on the piece? You know, very, very tiny type creative by Design Army. And we get two, three clients out of that because they, you know, they thought we provide something that's not wearable in D.C. So if it, if your work wasn't the kind of typical work that was coming out of D.C., how would you describe your style? How would you describe the kind of work that you do? Mm. For my listeners, just so that you know what's <laughs> happening right now, they're looking at each other uh, to see who wants to say what. <laughs> well, one thing, that, one thing that you'll find out if you don't, haven't already, we don't agree on on anything really really <laughs> we don't agree oh, on let's things hear very more often. about that <laughs> well we just don't we just we just think um we think differently we argue a lot but it's usually over pretty quick well then i'm going to ask you each to describe your style and let's see what happens uh, and I i'm going to ask poom to go first sure i think we'll agree <laughs> most of it i think simple it's very minimal what what we do and you know design for me should please the eyes and stimulate the mind so you know, it doesn't have to be different layers. Sometimes it just be one word on a page. A copy can be the best illustrations. You know, we always just kind of subtract things down and, and just find that one idea to communicate on the page. Yeah, it's very fundamental. I mean, sketch is a big part of our work process. You know, we don't just hop onto the computer and have at it. I guess that's kind of our, our therapeutic strategy session is really sketching out all the ideas and and filtering through them to make sure that they are valid and that they're really going to work for for the solution that we're trying to achieve for the client. But, uh, you know, one of the other things that we do is, you know, that's what we show our clients too. We don't just sketch it, then execute it and show them. We usually just sketch it and be like, hmm, let's just show them this. So I want to talk about that because, Poom, I read that you said that um, you believe that if you can't sketch, you can't see in your head. And I thought that was a really profound thing to say. Why do you feel that it's important to be able to sketch beyond what you can see in your head or can't see in your head? And also, why do you feel that it's important to show clients those sketches before doing any work on the computer? Every design firm have different method for me. As a designer, you kind of have to think on your own. You know, our team, when we brief a project, everyone's go to their desk or go, go home and, and sketch on their own. Like, you, you need to dream alone. You know, you, you can't dream as a group. And then, you know, what you go dream the day before you come back and then we have a meeting. So that's why, you know, the, the idea of sketching is like how you see things in your head, how you dream about thing, how you see the project going to come to life, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter because we, you know, what all we do is sketching. And um, I think it's just more of, you know, you get your idea down very, very quickly. I mean, the, and the sketch doesn't have to be drawing necessary. Sometimes sketch can be a list of word. Sketch can be combination of both. You know, there's different kind of sketch. So it's not like when, when we say sketch, it's mean drawing. For me, it's like sketch from your brain to your hand. You know, it's this chemistry in your body that it's, that's, you know, that's how we get the idea down. The sketches that I've seen that you've done are quite beautiful. They're not particularly fancy and they're not particularly detailed, but they are very precious and very beautiful. Do you keep all the sketches for all the work that you do? Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. I have a folder. One day we'll have a Design Army sketchbook 
Yeah, you, you absolutely like have to. But, uh, they're they're really profoundly wonderful. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, for me on the business side, I guess since I'm doing more of that these days, the sketches are great because I can get the client to buy into the idea and become part of that collaborative process with it, as opposed to going and showing them finely, you know, detailed out designs and polished, and they're just like kind of nitpicking things apart. But when you go in with a sketch and you get them involved in the process and in the project, they start to add to it. You leave a little bit of room for them to kind of evolve mm, with it. I love that. And it's, you know, it's pretty easy sell. And I'd say 95% of the time, if the sketch is looking good as a sketch, execution's going to look good as well. And, you know, sometimes the client gets so hang up on the way things look. For example, you know, we do a lot of fashion editorial. If I pull, let's say, a stock photo or something to get a look and feel and they don't like a blonde, then that's concept. It's over. Where sketch would be there's a female, a kid, and that's it. And, you know, we can cast later. And just so the clients really focus on idea, you know, what we're trying to say, what we're trying to communicate, not so much about execution in the very beginning stage. You know, a lot of people ask us, you know, how do you even present sketch to the client? And, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, Jake's very good at selling the idea to the client. And if, if the client willing to listen to you and be part of the process and concept, I think the end product is just much better. Jake, you mentioned before that you're doing more of the selling now. Did you always have more delineated responsibilities in the organization, or is it something now that's developing as no, you grow? No, I mean, even when we started off, we knew we couldn't have, like, two creative directors because we kill each other. We're on a project together. Well, we drive each other insane. Um, Why? Why is that? Just because, you know, we both have our design idea and our own egos. Strong opinions. Strong opinions. And, you know... I always lose. I almost always lose. So I just got tired of losing. And I just said, all right, you know, you do that and I'll, I'll focus on because this. Because, you know, I want, like, do a print piece and then I want the die cut for a stamp, seven colors. And he's thinking about, okay, that's too much money. And I was like, well, let's just do it. You know, it's always come down to, you know, the business side. That's what we're usually fighting about because I always always want to go overboard and he's trying to pull <laughs> me. Right. We're, we're a very hands-on studio as well. Like I said, you know, we don't have... The supporting cast that you would typically see at an agency, um, I mean, everybody is creative. We don't have AE. No AEs, no CSRs, no project managers. Everybody takes ownership of their project. And, you know, Poom Wax is creative director. I end up acting as, like, production coordinator a lot. And, you know, that's where she drives me crazy, you know, because we'll have a print budget set. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I want to change the size and I want to put this on it. And I want to, you know, heat stamp, foil, wax something. And I'm less like... <laughs> Yeah, all right. I don't know how the hell we're going to do it, but we'll, we'll we'll sell it to the client one way or the other. Do you ever regret it afterward? Uh, no, it always yeah, she's, it always exactly. looks good. It's always right. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's hard to go back to the clients. You know, once they've already set a budget and asked for more money, it can be a difficult kind of thing to do. They'll be like, why does it need it? Well, why? Do, how do you get them to do it? Then we show we how show them. <laughs> much it's look, you know, compare it. This is without die cut. This is without die cut, and let them form their opinion. And and usually, it's we're doing it for a very particular reason. Like it has purpose. It's just not to make something shiny. So why would you? What would be the strategic reason to do a die cut versus not? I think that would help our listeners to really be able to understand how you get somebody to do that. I guess it depends on what the die cut purpose is. We did a book for a law firm that had a square die cut the whole way through the book. 
So it was a 64-page book and had a square die cut through the whole thing. And the title of the book was, um, what was it, Hone a Book or a Window of Opportunity? And that ah, was the title of the book. Okay. You know, so if we were just going to do a picture of the window on the cover, that's mm. kind of lame. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, we do a lot of crazy stuff, especially like we've been doing a lot of work with Nina Paper. And now, oh, man, we're like foil, laser, die cut, you name it, you know, if it can be done to paper, we're doing it. And it's great, but it's also, you know, it's always done with a purpose. Like, we're just not doing it to do waste money. I want to come back to some of the Nina work in a moment sure. because some of the latest work that you've done is just mind-blowing. But so you're a 10-person firm or an 11-person firm about that? It hovers, yeah. I think right now we got uh, eight designers and then me and Poom. Our, so full house would be a staff of nine. And so you also mentioned at the beginning that you told the clients that you liked that you were starting mm-hmm. your own agency and the ones that you didn't like, you didn't tell them anything. Correct. <laughs> and I also read that you, you do turn down a fair amount of work. Yes. So what is the kind of client that you like? What is the kind of client that you don't want to work with? Talk about some of the decisions that you have to make. Well, we, we did some healthcare work early on and it just wasn't creatively rewarding. And our work model has always been that we want to change the kind of creative landscape of Washington. So if we're just off doing all the conference work or all of this sort of thing, you know, we, we just really, you know, we're never going to get anywhere. And our work model is also that, you know, the way we get our projects is by doing great creative. So we have to be very selective on what projects we bring in. And if I meet a client and I don't think it's going to be right fit, we don't take the project. Or, you know, if they call and the first thing they want to know is how much something costs, we usually don't take the project. Or we don't respond to the RFP. You know, if an RFP comes in and I say, well, you know, how many other firms have you asked to bid? And they'll say, well, you know, six. I'm like, you know, I don't want to be part of the fishing trip. So, you know, we weed off a lot of things. That takes a lot of courage. It it does. But at the same time, you know, if I just bring in a bunch of crappy work for the staff, the staff will leave. Right. And, you know, I I love what I do because I only do what I love. So (laughs) you have to be very engaging on the, you know, product and project that you take in. And that's the benefit of being a small studio because, you know, you you can take so much work. So you can pick and choose what you want to really do. Right. When you have a staff of nine, you know, it's not like you got staff 30 to Yeah, but you still have nine paychecks you have to sign every couple of weeks, right? Well, we we have a two bucket model. We have the bucket of fun and we have the bucket of stuff that, you know, pays the bills. Mm. And every shop, I think, has that bucket model. They might call it something differently. Yeah, but... James Victoria calls it the God jobs. <laughs> okay. Those are the fun jobs. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, fill up the, we fill up the money bucket as fast as we can at the beginning of the year. And once we're to that point, I don't have any reservations saying no to people because if it's not going to be fun, then why do it? Now, you mentioned healthcare. Why? Why? What's wrong with doing uh, the damn doctors? Yeah, the doctors would always get involved, and they take it home to their wives and be like, "What do you think?" And she's like, "Well, I don't know. I don't like blue." Mm. <laughs> and you I know, think, you know and just maybe no creativity. Our de- well, maybe our design sensibility doesn't speak to that market either. You know, whatever we present seems not to hit the mark. So we know our weakness or. This is not appropriate. And it's like, you know, I don't want to waste my time nor waste the client time. You know, there's other people who can do it better than us. And our time, you know, much better, you know, serve other client in luxury market or fashion or entertainment. But we definitely look out for projects that are going to be challenging. You know, a project that we'll look at and be like, 
you know, this is probably going to be, be, be kind of difficult, but it'll be a good learning process. And it'll be something that's going to, you know, educate us a little bit about a new business sector, a new business industry, because we were very, very diverse with our client base. You know, we don't just do the fashion. We just don't do, you know, we're going from Disney to law firms. I mean, we're going completely across the spectrum with our clients. So, Like we never done art direction or photo, but a lot of photography on our previous job at all. No, and never. We just... When we start designing, I always want to get into photography and art direction, and you just learn it. You're just so naive because you want to do it, and you start it, and now it just we do a lot of that. Yeah, you do the first shoot, and you're like, "Wow, this is great!" And then we look back, and we're like, "Holy crap, we did that!" <laughs> well, uh, what's what's so interesting is that I think a lot of the work that you're doing is is bucking a real trend in that. I think you said that 75% is print-based? Yeah, we're about 75% print-based still. Um, you know, our, our web projects tend to be, I wouldn't call them boutiqued or anything like that. I mean, we definitely do some large-scale sites, but we seek out more creative-based sites, you know, whether it's for a hotel or a fashion client, or we'll do, um, we do a lot of website for architecture firms. So, you know, architects are definitely a bit of a challenge because they're, almost like us, except they use bigger words, you know, they, they have a tendency to want to put everything they've ever done in their careers on their websites. And, Isn't that interesting? Uh, yes, Justification. Just, yes. It's like, you know, it's like I can put it out there. But, you know, after we meet with them, you know, we tell them, you know, you don't have to do it. The website's a handshake. It's not punch me in the face. You know, you've got to let it kind of showcase what you want to do in terms of the clients that you want to be working and bringing in, you know, websites and just not to put everything I've ever done in my life up. It takes a little while to get them to understand that, but eventually they do, and you know they end up with great, great work. I started to see um, your work change when you did the Wonderland commemorative book uh, for the Washington Ballet, mm -hmm. and ever since then I've seen this thread through your work—a very magical, lot of storytelling with imagery. Talk about how this style of yours has developed, because I think it's really interesting and I think it's really unique. Yeah, I mean, we we basically did this project for the for the ballet. They were one of our first clients. We didn't have staff yet; it was just Poom and Jake. And the ballet took a risk on hiring us to do their season brochure. And so, after we did that, they were like, "Okay, we're we're totally down with these guys." And we've been doing their stuff since I think 2004. We've been doing their a lot of their work for them. And so uh, we were at a gala, and uh, the artistic director was there, and we're, he's like, yeah, it's going to be my 10-year anniversary, and this and that. You know, we're all drunk, and I was like, we should do something really great. And he's like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And I was like, no, I was like, we got to do something really, really good. He's like, okay. So I was like, yeah, we're all drunk. He's not going to remember any of this. And um, about a week later, he called, and he's like, hey, do you still want to do that project? And I was like, um, sure. I was like, we'll come in. Let's talk about it. And so... We went in and we started talking about it, and I think they had an idea of like a 20-page thing or a calendar or something. And we're like, you know, if we're going to do something, let's just do it right. Let's do it big. Let's showcase Washington. Let's showcase the dancers. And so we said, let's make a commemorative book, and let's uh, take your 10 favorite performances from the past 10 years and photo shoot them throughout Washington. He said, okay. He's like, who's going to pay for it? I was like, let's worry about it later. <laughs> I said, let's let's get it down on paper. Let's get it thought out and processed and make sure that it's even something that we can do from an execution standpoint before we even worry about who's paying for what. I was like, you know, we're going to pitch in and do most of this, so let's just see where it goes. And so we started the uh, concept phase, and we got a list of his 10 favorite performances. We came back with, you know, different ideas of how we would want to photo shoot 
each performance and, in Washington, in Washington, yeah. and highlighting different locations and different aspects of the city that I guess people see, but they really don't notice every day. So we were in some pretty obscure locations, some old warehouses and the Arboretum. Of course, we were on Pennsylvania Avenue because um, you had a few iconic places. Sure. And uh, it, it all started to come together. But at the same time, we were, we're still like, what the hell are we going to do for words? What are we going to do to tie all this together? And um, we just kept playing with this concept of Wonderland originally of kind of like this dream world. We just lifted all the copy from Alice in Wonderland. Well, it's a very modern interpretation. Yeah. yeah. And typographically, it's absolutely gorgeous. The photography is just... Cade Martin did the photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah he shoots a lot with us. Yeah. It's it's just a magnificent piece. It's a piece of art. It took us over a year, something like about four, half. 14 something months to finish that project. And, you know, like, like people were like, why would you do it? That's pro bono. That's so much work. And, you know... That was my next question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it, I mean, sometimes you just feel like you have to do something. You know, when you think of DC, you don't think of art or design or whatever. And we really, really want to change the perception of the city. And that's why we thought, you know, a shot, iconic shot of Pennsylvania Avenue with ballerina in a row walking across will tell that story that, hey, you know, DC is, is new. Something is happening in DC. And that picture has become very iconic for our, our city. You know, people always say, oh, I have an idea to do this, an idea to do this, but never execute it. I think the idea is never an idea unless you execute it. Mm. You have to execute it. Otherwise, you, you it's just going to be one of those like million ideas that flying around. It's easy to say I have an idea, but can you make it happen? Yeah, a lot of people And, will and be we like, did make it happen. Oh, I've thought of that before. Yeah. You know, that was my idea. Well, so, yeah. you got to do it. You well, I, I think some of the beauty of your work is that they're not ideas that people think about a lot, but then you do make these things happen. And I felt the same way when I saw the Nina paperwork, the most recent Nina paperwork mm -hmm. that's just come out. I feel like that work might not have happened had you not done Wonderland. So it's sort of an interesting trajectory in the way your business and, and the work that you're doing in your agency is is evolving. Yeah, I think our our, our first really crazy, crazy photo shoot was we do the Ringling Circus, the Ringling Brothers Circus, the program books. And um, once we got that project, we had to go to Florida to do a photo shoot. And that was the first and last time Poon went to Florida to do the circus. <laughs> but if you can photo direct, art direct elephants and crap like that, you can do anything. And after we did those shoots, we come back and we're like, you know what, we can, we can just do anything. We should not be afraid to try this. And so... The Wonderland, you know, we did some earlier smaller fashion things and we kind of built up and then, but the Wonderland was definitely one of the ones where it was kind of like major production and, you know. It was a real breakthrough, I think, yeah. in terms I think, I think of where your work has gone. Absolutely. I think it's a breakthrough. You know, we after that project, we have a new category in our website under Art Direction and Design Ivy now, it's almost like known for that kind of work, you know. A lot of people transfer from print to new media, but we are transfer from print to photo art direction, you know, I feel like we have created our own kind of design firm, which doesn't really fit anyone more. And, um, you know, I think that's what makes us a little bit different than um, a lot of traditional graphic design firm. Well, I love the idea of doing a piece for a paper company that also comes alive in the behind-the-scenes video that showcases how you came up with the ideas and how you executed them. 
One of the images from the Nina paperwork that you have just done, I cannot get out of my mind. And, you know, with paperwork, I think it's really hard to do work for a paper company that's never, ever been seen before. And and you've managed to do it with this new work for Nina. And the image that is just haunting me is the image of the woman actually bursting through the paper. <laughs> um, so you see her head and you see her hands, but you see three hands, not two. And it's magical. It's gorgeous. It's a little bit eerie. Talk about how you came up with that. Well, I mean, the whole the whole concept of the for the swatch books was the golden means, you know, all the the lines and rules and everything like that. But we really went off of a lot of the the, the client's brief. You know, we weren't. We what were, was the brief? <laughs> well, I mean, the the, the the it was for the linen paper line, which is sensible luxury, is what they call that. And so we really wanted to come up with a, a, an image, and we presented a lot of different concepts to them. But for that particular image, we wanted to do something with fashion and something that had uh, paper into that shot in particular. And so it was more this idea of how do we put the emphasis on the beauty, but also still bring the idea of this sort of newness, freshness, this relaunch uh, onto this that in particular shot. And so um, I don't remember it was uh, I don't remember the designer that sketched off this like person poking their head through the paper and we were like yeah that's kind of cool i was like it's the new birth yeah it's like the linen classic it's linen. just bizarro and we were like yeah putting our hand in there because <laughs> the two is not enough right you know? right. right well that the third hand i think is right. what really elevates it into right. that sort of like genius category it's spectacular but uh yeah our staff um you know we really don't hold them back too much we whenever we give them a, a project in the brief you know they they come back with some interesting things from time to time. Sometimes I'm just like, where is this coming from? It's um, great though. Yeah, like we don't edit too much. You yeah. know, the it's stuff we're doing, we're doing everything. The crazier, for the, the better. <laughs> yeah, we're doing everything for the one show this year. So you're going to oh, see that in a couple of weeks coming wonderful. out with some e blasts and the posters getting ready to release. And I think when people see this, they're going to be kind of like, <laughs> what the hell is going on here? It is really bizarro. So you've also done some color renaming. Um, yes. For uh, a color consumption project, <laughs> you've come up with new names. Every day. Um, recent discoveries include Viking, pancakes, swamp. So w- what is the color for pancakes? Or what is the color that you renamed pancakes? That's what Sophie had for breakfast one morning. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where pancakes come from that day. But uh, no, the Color Consumption Project is something that we... uh, Where can people find this? It's on our Facebook page. And we put a color up every day. And sometimes we go through a thematic week. Like since this was the Nina launch all this past week, it was all classic colors. But lots of times it's what's going on in that time of year. Other times, you know, we do something around Fashion Week where we do all kind of fashion colors. But we really wanted to have something that people would want to come to our page every day and check it out. And just it's fun. You talked about your daughter, Sophie, mm-hmm. who is actually here with us, not in the studio, but on the floor here. She is a big part of your lives. You take her to all your photo shoots. One of the interesting quotes that I read, Poom, you saying about life and work versus family versus leisure time, etc. You said anyone who's looking for balancing work and life is probably not truly enjoying what they do. So tell me about that. I think everybody have different things that make them happy. For me, it was very miserable try to answer that question that, oh, you know. How do you do it all? How do you do it all? Or like, you really need to 
balance the work and the life. And you know, I did try to do that, and and it's make me really unhappy. And you know, I feel you know feel like that's just not a good fit for me. And because I really enjoy design, I love design. Army is like my second child. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 everything, and and it's it's okay to bring Sophie to a photo shoot. It's okay to go speak and bring her along with us. I well, mean, think she, of what she, she's learning. It's she, amazing. Yeah, she doesn't bother anyone, and it, like you say, you know, I think for for a kid who's growing up with two designers' parents, it's okay for her to learn. And what a great opportunity! So we see that as a advantage, not disadvantage, and we just start blending everything together. And so you've also. Blended in your real estate with your business, so you bought a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've renovated that building. You're now working in that building. One of the buildings that you bought originally, you had rented out. Now you're living there. Mm-hmm. So talk about how the real estate influences what you do and how you live. I think uh, originally it started out of boredom. <laughs> really? What are you bored with? <laughs> well, we, we, like I said, backtracking. Once we got married in Thailand, we came back and we bought a house and we were still working, saving money and stuff. And we we're like, well, do we really need to have this much money in our bank account? And somehow or another, she got a rich dad, poor dad book somewhere. I don't know where the hell it came from. <laughs> and she was toting it around for a couple of weeks. And the next thing I know is like we're off house shopping (laughs) and uh, buying an investment property, which which we bought. And, you know, I grew up in the country. So, you know, I know how to swing a hammer and take out walls and that kind of stuff. And uh, I went to work on it in the in my spare time. And uh, we were living in our other house. And then we found out that Sophie was coming along. And I was like, all right, got to hurry up and build this other one faster. And so we sold that house and moved to the other one and bought the office. And That's a big sacrifice, though, yeah. we have to say, because bought the office, you know, I mean, that's a big investment. Yes, we have it to is. talk yeah. to the bank. And But we thought, you know, we're going to build a company that's probably not a 50-people firm because we like to keep it small. I mean, we had done oversee 40-people company before with, you know, our, our previous job. So, so we know what is that like. And that's probably not the kind of agency we're going to be. So we bought smaller building and, um, you know, we know we're going to have space for 12 people and that's it. Great. And I get to pay myself rent, <laughs> which is excellent. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, I think that if people ask you about the name Design Army, I think that you should tell them that you're on a mission to change the world. Definitely, we're on. I don't know about the world, Washington for sure right now. Um, which I think we're. I think we're actually getting to the point where it is starting to change. Um, I don't know if we can be, you know, take credit for all of it, but I like to say that you know we definitely have changed a lot of organizations in the city. We've done a lot of work that's pretty high profile that people see. They drive by it every day. They don't know who's doing it half the time, but you know I think people are becoming more aware of it in the city. I think you'd have to focus on what you do. You know for. New York, it's a great place, but for us, you know, it's good for us to be in D.C. and to be good, you have to be the best in your backyard first. Well, and aim, cer- aim for that. You're certainly that. Thank you for coming on Design Matters, Jake and Poom. You can find out more about Design Army at www.designarmy.com. I'd like to thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions with technical assistance by Rainey Ortica and research by Jen Simon. 
The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.